Our scripture reading today before Matt comes to share is a lengthy one from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good to see you. Welcome. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Matt. I'd love to meet you. Um, over the past couple of weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we have considered the fact that one way we seek to participate in the restorative work of God as a community is by caring about each other's journey. We actually saw some of that language in the scripture from 1 Corinthians, Austin just read, but caring about each other's journey. We, we hope to pursue, as a community, genuine, vulnerable, even sacrificial community. So today we are going to wrap up this portion of our series, considering our purpose as a church, and we will today be concluding our treatment of the necessity of community within the church. But this is sort of the progression we've made over the past couple of weeks. First, we've established the fact that according to Jesus, the church, so we are a family. On, on several occasions throughout the Gospels, Jesus radically reimagines the community gathered around him as a new surrogate family. So we begin, the church is a family. And as we talked about last week, sometimes that is a very difficult and messy reality. But the mess, the difficulty, maybe the relational struggle we experience in that reality does not give us a pass to opt out of commitment to the body. So the church is a family that is sometimes quite messy, but we don't get to opt out. And I want to submit today that that is actually good for us. 
It's good for us because we can't understand ourselves rightly apart from our connection to the whole, and we can't grow into Christ's likeness without that connection. Our growth depends on one another. So that is going to be our focus today. Now, understandably, this is a difficult truth for us to wrestle with because culturally, personal freedom is paramount. I don't think that would be a shocking claim. We have a tendency to understand our freedom as our highest calling. The thought is, well, if I am not absolutely free to do what I want at all times, in all circumstances, then I am somehow not fully myself. In order to be fully myself, I must be free of others, their expectations and Free of any responsibility, I haven't enthusiastically accepted. Now, admittedly, to some degree, freedom, even personal freedom, I think is good. I think it's an important part of life. Freedom is a part of the wonderful concoction that leads to increased meaning and purpose and even wholeness. But so is community. So is relational connection, and community necessarily limits personal freedom. Now, this is a great paradox if we have adopted modern Western understandings of personal freedom, where in order to be free, I have to be free of all obligation to others. But of course, that would not be a healthy vision of freedom, and I don't even know that it's realistic. The idea of self-sufficiency that is inherent in extreme versions of individualism, I think, is a mirage in light of the practical necessity of our interdependence in human society. I mean, very, very few people actually live in complete isolation in a completely self-reliant manner. So I think it's unrealistic. I also, though, think it's dangerous. And it's not just theologians or pastors or spiritual leaders of some kind who warn of the dangers associated with extreme individualism or isolationism. From sociologists to neuropsychologists, many agree. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Many agree. Do you agree? Okay. Many agree, I'm, I'm getting off track here, that we are not meant to live alone, that it is not healthy for us. And I think there are many ways in which that sort of individualism has and continues to impact the church and our understanding of it. In a place like Springfield, Missouri, with the nearly limitless number of local churches. And by the way, I personally don't bemoan that fact. Those churches, as we have established over the past couple of weeks, are filled with our brothers and sisters. But in a city that has been referred to pejoratively as the buckle of the Bible belt, it is no surprise that there exists an endless buffet of options. But I think one negative outcome of that is what I lovingly refer to as the yelpification of church, 
where church becomes for us just another product that we are consuming, and so we treat it as such. Now, I love reading Yelp and, and Google reviews because in addition to occasionally providing helpful information, you also find the wildest complaints. It can be a true source of entertainment. And I think church Google reviews are no different. My favorite one we ever received years ago, I think Google has since removed it. It was a one-star review, and the comment was, never been there. Which, how, how great is that? <laughs> One star, never been there. You can't even be upset about that. Um, but considering how pervasive and deep-seated our individualism tends to be, it is no surprise that that would also impact our understanding of the church. This is just another product that I am consuming. And so I run it through the same filter. How, how do I feel when I go there? Is this meeting my needs? Do they serve coffee? And how is the coffee they serve? Amen. Is there a high production value? And the list goes on and on. It is nearly limitless, as varied as the population itself. So from the outset of this conversation, we must remember that the church is not a product. It's not a product we consume where all of my personal preference boxes are checked. It's not a product, but rather a place in which we know and are known by others. A place in which we care for others and are ourselves cared for. This is one of the things the Apostle Paul points at in that text from 1 Corinthians, the care that is offered in the context of community. So again, this, by the way, is just the introduction, so bear with me. The church is a family, and without that family, I want to suggest that we can't become the people we are intended to be. We do not grow in isolation, and we can't even understand ourselves rightly in isolation. So as a striking critique to the individualism of our day, our scriptures consistently remind us that we don't get to opt out of connection to the body. We don't get to opt out of community. But wait a second. I thought... This was about my personal relationship with Jesus. I thought the church was nothing more than the place I go to nurture my personal faith. Or we might hear a similar sentiment, I love Jesus, but I don't really like organized religion, or I have problems with the institutional church for all of these reasons, and I would say welcome to the club. And by the way, some of those reasons are quite legitimate. This may be a very fair critique that we need to take seriously. There have been and continue to be terrible things done in churches. I even think there are legitimate reasons to separate from particular communities. But I would also suggest that the answer to terrible things being done in the church, the solution is not to disconnect from a body altogether or to forego connection to a community in favor of a completely privatized spirituality. Like, for me, well, a hike in the woods is my church. Or a book club 
that's church for me, or having dinner with a close group of friends and discussing theological or philosophical matters, that is my church. While those activities are, are great and beneficial for the soul, I personally have benefited from each of those types of activities, but I also don't think they replace the ecclesia, the, the gathering of disciples. And one of the reasons I want to submit that we can't simply replace the church or the gathering with something like an affinity group or a group of my closest friends is that we need the people, I need the people that I wouldn't think to include in that small group. I can't grow without the people that I wouldn't think to include in that group or the people who I wouldn't necessarily want in that group. The, the problem is with all of those other activities that I've listed, I can curate, I, I have the power to control who is at the table. I can curate a, a perfect group of folks who think and look and act and talk just like me. That's not healthy for me. Certainly isn't healthy for me long term. I've heard it put this way. I can't remember who, who said it, and I couldn't find it when I searched online. But I'm sure somebody said it, because I couldn't have come up with it. But uh, it's always stuck with me. They said, the church is the place where the person I least want to be there is always there. <laughs> Maybe you're looking next to you thinking, Yes, exactly. But that's good for us. We need places like that. I think our growth requires it. So participation in the church in a local body, not, I'm not talking necessarily about this one, although this is a place that that can happen. Participation in the church, in the body, is not an option for a disciple. When we follow Jesus, we become connected to his body. We can't have one without the other. We can't follow Jesus in isolation. We can't relegate our spirituality to the private sphere of life. Well, I have my quiet time. I do my devotions. I listen to worship music, maybe even sermons on my commute to work. That's great. That's not the church. But I thought I was the church. No, I'm not. I'm a part of it. I have been adopted into a family, but alone, I am not the church. There's a well-known text in, in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but the author of Hebrews voices the importance of this coming together, this gathering. Verse 23, I'll just read he, uh, Whoever it is, he or she, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author here suggests that what happens in the corporate gathering of disciples is so important for both the community and the individuals involved that it 
cannot be neglected. When we aren't here, when we don't gather, it matters. There is something missing. Because when we gather, one of our primary responsibilities is to encourage one another, to care for one another. We can't care for one another if we aren't close enough to one another to know when somebody needs care. We gather to stir one another up toward love and good works, to allow the iron of our lives to sharpen the iron of the lives of others. That can't happen in isolation. So to pursue this sort of community where we are caring for one another, where we are encouraging one another, first, it seems very obvious, but first we have to show up. We have to be present. So we don't neglect to gather. We want to, as a community, find occasions either through organized gatherings. So for us, that might be a weekend worship service or a common meal, sharing a meal together, or a small group. You, you all have heard from some of those leaders today. Or practicing the way, that formation group that we engage in. So it may be something organized, like some of those options. It also may be unorganized or organic, where we take initiative to connect with sisters and brothers in the family. Deep community where we are actually beginning to offer care to one another requires both proximity and frequency. Proximity and frequency. So let's look again at our scripture reading from this morning, 1 Corinthians, where we see the Apostle Paul highlight this reality. The, the diversity that exists within the body and the indispensable nature of each part of the body. Verse 19, we read this, If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no uh, feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. We don't have the option of saying, well, I'm not a part of the body. I follow Jesus. I'm not a part of the body. If we are in Christ, we are connected to his body necessarily. But we don't even have the option of saying, well, sure, I concede that I am a part of the body, but surely I don't really need that part over there. I don't need you. You think too differently. We are worlds apart in all of these categories, from education level to finances or interests. None of it aligns. Paul says there is incredible diversity in the body, and I can't understand myself apart from my participation in that varied body. 
There's a great little chapter in the middle of Wendell Berry's novel, Hannah Coulter, where I know there are some Hannah Coulter fans in here, um, where Hannah, who is the, the narrator of this story, is describing life in their small Kentucky town and the community of people in that town with which they had built a life. And several of the characters in this story refer to that community in this small town as a membership. That their lives, they understand, had been linked together by a variety of factors. They were linked together first by geography, by family, by the economy of that small town. But that link that they had created was uh, very difficult to break up. Hannah argues that this was uh, especially visible and undeniable during the annual tobacco harvest, which was the primary um, economic engine in that town. But that was a time, during that harvest, it was a time where personal freedom could not be on the radar of the members in the community. B Barry continues through the voice of Hannah saying that there was an economic purpose to all of that connection but the connection went much deeper than just economy. He says this, the work was freely given in exchange for work freely given. No bookkeeping, no accounting, no settling up. No, every account was paid in full by the understanding that when we were needed, we would go. And when we had need, the others or enough of them would come. Such a simple but beautiful description of community. In a later chapter, this character admits that the freedom, the personal freedom that separation from the community would bring, that personal freedom could be really appealing. And there were even certain advantages to that separation. The question though, at what cost? At what cost? I think that is a central question that as a community of faith, we must constantly be asking. Separation undeniably brings certain benefits. It maybe makes things a little bit easier, but is uninhibited personal freedom worth the cost? Deep connection within the body requires that we concede certain amounts of personal freedom. It is impossible for us to live entirely free and be in community. But I think that is the tension we are called to navigate. So the church is a family, a family that asks much of us, a family that is a gift to us. A genuine gift. Community not only helps address the loneliness that plagues us, but it is also how we grow. Now, maybe we need to qualify this a little bit. We, we are not talking about resisting healthy conceptions of the individual. I'm not talking about ignoring or minimizing the inherent dignity and value of each individual person. Our scriptures are replete with language that affirms the value of individuals. Think of the teachings of Jesus, the story of the lost sheep. We find the shepherd leaving the large group and going and seeking the one individual, leading them back to the fold. 
Or the language from the psalmist, you knit me together in my mother's womb. We understand that central to a theology of humankind is the affirmation of the Imago Dei, the, the belief that every human being bears the image of our creator, a dignifying reality for the individual. That, what we're not talking about resisting that. The individualism our faith invites us to resist is the one that sees the self as the primary, most important reality in the universe. Where my interests, my desires, my goals, my needs are the most important thing. Everything else takes a back seat. Because I'm autonomous. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody for anything. This obviously flies in the face of the New Testament vision of life in community with other disciples. So we remember the primary metaphor Jesus uses to describe the community gathered around him is a family. At times that is a messy and uncomfortable reality, but the difficulty isn't an excuse to forego connection to the body. We need the body because we can't understand ourselves in a Christian way apart from our connection to the whole, and we can't grow into Christ-likeness without other followers of Jesus spurring us on. Ronald Rollheiser poignantly put it this way. He said, the church gives us a place to die to elitism. The church gives us a place to die to elitism. Routine proximity to people who are different than me, to people who I might be tempted to think I am better than, over the course of time, that slowly changes me. I have to wrestle with the fact that despite our diversity, we are unified in Jesus Christ. It also gives us a place to die to elitism, I think, because in vulnerable community, I am confronted with the real me. That's the nature of relationships in general. I think of the closest relationships in my life, my relationship with my wife and my two daughters. Those relationships for me are constant reminders of my selfishness that is still day after day, hopefully, being burned out of me. In isolation, if I haven't let anybody in, if I haven't given others permission to speak honestly with me, I can convince myself that I am actually already the ideal version of who I want to be. Vulner and by the way, I'm not. But without those voices reminding me of that, I can very easily slip into that frame of mind. Vulnerable relationships force me to deal with the real me, to be confronted with what Pete Scazzaro has called the shadow side, those behaviors that lie largely unconscious just below the surface, that I can conceal from most other people, those damaged and fragmented versions of myself. Maybe we would think of this in terms of what the Bible calls the old self, we're confronted in the context of community with who we really are, and we must deal with that. So I think in this way, we rely on community for our transformation. 
can't understand ourselves apart from our connection to the whole, and we can't grow without that connection to the whole. So as an eye, I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I'm, I'm better, I'm more holy, I'm more enlightened, I'm more charismatic, I'm more gifted, so I, I don't need you. No, connection to the body reminds me that those parts that seem inferior or unnecessary are actually indispensable to the whole, but they're also indispensable to me because I can't understand myself without them and I can't grow into Christ-likeness without them. We need each other. This is not just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. This is about my connection to his body. I invite you to stand, and I'm going to say a prayer, but also just provide a moment of quiet for us to um, acknowledge and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to open our minds, open our eyes to what our scriptures teach us. So let's, let's take a moment, quiet our hearts and our minds. speak to us. We welcome your conviction, your challenge. We welcome the encouragement you want to speak into our lives. We're going to gather around the table of our Lord, celebrate the life we have in him, life that necessarily connects us to one another. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll invite you to the table. We'll make two lines, one down each of these center aisles. When you get to the front, somebody will speak over you the words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can take and receive these gifts on, on your own. Let me say a prayer for us. O oh God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace. Give us grace to take to heart the grave dangers we are in through our many divisions. Deliver your church from all enmity and prejudice and everything that hinders us from godly union. As there is one body and one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. So make us all to be of one heart and of one mind, united in one holy bond of truth and peace, of faith and love, that with one voice we may give you praise. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God in everlasting glory. Amen.